verse 8. Title of the message this morning is Here to Stay. Here to Stay, the Permanence of Love. We, we last week got into the first part of chapter 13, really looking at what uh, this agape love, that this sacrificial love that, you know, I shared with you that we, we often think of agape love as this this uh, as, as God's love, and it's it, that always being the definition. It's always God's love, and yet there are other times that man's love for sin. That word that's used in the scriptures, it's agape. So it's a sacri- You know, it's a sacrificial kind of love. It's an all giving kind of love. You know what that says is sometimes we're all giving to the sin in our life. We we're totally consumed with that. We're totally absorbed in that. But it's a sacrificial type of love. And Paul is making the case here, and, and what a wonderful chapter this is about love and we often you hear it at weddings and you and, and we we make it all sappy and it's except, except it's not a sappy type of love it is a it's a sacrificial love it's a very thoughtful love it's a, it's a very pragmatic love it is i'm going to do for you regardless of what it cost me it is an all giving love and that's the love god has for us and he showed that when he sent his son jesus to die for us and jesus showed that love when he gave himself for us and there was no expectation of anything in return it was all done driven by the love he had for us and it's a love that it says we should have for one another so as we pick up on that paul now is going to go into explaining some things because remember the whole context of chapter 12 and 13 and 14 is gifts. Very good. I should have coached you better on that. I had a it's about spiritual gifts. This, and, and primarily, now Paul is going to deal with the problem was the abuse of tongues in the church at Corinth. And we're going to really get to that next week. But he, 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 in order to deal with that, Paul doesn't just say, don't do this. He, Paul goes into a whole, a whole breakdown of why the gifts were given. We look in chapter 12 where, where the Holy Spirit gives gifts. When we're born again, the Holy Spirit indwells us and he puts us, he baptizes us into the body of Christ. And then the body of Christ, our job is to serve God. Whatever the head tells us to do, that's what we're to do. And we are to make much of Jesus. We're to proclaim him and declare him to the world. That's our role as the body of Christ. And so why did the gifts come? And that's going to be important that we're going to look at in the next couple of weeks. So Paul really is going to kind of get into that today because why were the gifts given? What was the purpose? Was it so that you could act a fool in church? Would it be so you could get attention and draw attention to yourself? No, that was not the purpose of of the gifts, and it wasn't the purpose specifically of tongues. It was to communicate truth. It was for the Word of God to go forth, correct? Correct. It was the Word of God to go forth. So we did not at that time have the Bible. They didn't have the completed Scripture, the canon. And so we're going to look today at what Paul has to say as he's continuing this, this thought now, working out this thought, and he's talking about love, and then he's going to, he's going to get into another area, and then he's going to come back to love. But let's, look, let's read through 8 through 13. Paul says, Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. 
Now, Paul turns now to this thought, this, this permanence of love, that love is here to stay. Love outlasts everything. Love, it, 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 it takes precedence over all. Love is of God. Love is greater than any gift and certainly greater than any transitory gift. Any of the, uh, the, the, the sign gifts is greater than any of those. First point, part of this is this, is, is Paul is going to talk about that which is passing away. And we just read that, but he's going to talk about that which is passing away. So let's look at Paul's explanation here in verse 8. Paul states three gifts specifically that will come to an end. There will be an end to prophecies, to tongues, and to knowledge. Verse 8 again. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there's knowledge, it will vanish away. It would be hard to find three more definitive statements anywhere in Scripture than that right there. Those were not question marks. Those weren't maybe statements. Those were declarative statements. Paul is saying this will happen. This is going to fall away. This is going to fail. This is going to end. This is going to cease. Other gifts, gifts will cease too, but Paul deals here specifically with the ones that were causing the trouble there in the church at Corinth. So Paul says, love never fails. I want you to look at that word fails. It's the word pipto, and it's used, it's used of the word of God, which in its smallest detail will never lose its authority or power. Amen? The word of God is all-powerful, and the word of God will never fail, not even in the slightest detail will it fail. Luke 16, 17 says, And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. It will not, it will not fail. It would not cease. It will not lose its power. It can also mean that it never falls away like the petals of a withered flower, as in James chapter, 11, uh, chapter 1, verse 11. Um, that's because love is eternal. Love is eternal, and God is eternal. Love is, love, God is love, and, 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 and it's a characteristic of God, and love is eternal as God is eternal. So next, Paul describes this failure of prophecies. He does this by drawing attention to the difference between love and the gift of prophecies. He now, he now uses this word, katargio, uh, which literally means to render entirely idle. Okay, if something becomes idle, it's not working. It's not moving. It's not doing anything. Or it can mean to reduce to inactivity. And that's what Paul says, that, 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 it, that, that it, will, it will fail. According to Paul, there would be, uh, come a time when prophecies would be put out, put out of business and they would cease to function and they would be abolished. Now, in the Greek language, if you if give you a little Greek lesson here, in the Greek language, there are three basic voices which govern verbs. You know, we have a verb, so like I said, you said, he said, she said, we said, they, you know, we, and so in Spanish, those would all be conjugated with different endings that would, would state those things. Where there's three voices that we look at, three, three ways that verbs are voiced in, in the Greek language. There's active, there's passive, and there's middle. Okay, so there's active voice, a passive voice, and a middle voice. And they're really simple to understand. So the active voice is used when the subject is doing the action. It makes sense, right? The subject is acting, so it's an active voice. And that would be used like the mother washes the child. The mother is the subject. She's active. She washes the child. The passive voice is used in that, in that subject. If, it, if, if it's passive, then it would be like this. So the child, the child now becomes the subject. The child is washed by the mother. That's passive because the action is being done by someone else on the subject of the, of the sentence. Then you have the middle voice. And the middle voice is used when the subject is, is doing the, upon, the action upon itself. So it would be like the child washes himself. Okay, makes sense? Active, someone else washes the child. 
Passive, the child is washed by someone else. Pa- uh, 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 middle, the child washes himself, all right? So you, you've just got it. You now you know a little Greek, okay? Now you just got to go get some verbs and work on the verbs and figure that out. But here we're going to look at this. So with prophecies, the passive voice of the verb is used. So the passive voice means someone else is going to do action upon the, the subject there. So that means that somebody is acting upon prophecies to cause them to cease um, and to be abolished. And that somebody, of course, is God himself. God will act upon prophecies to bring that to an end. The same verb and same voice are used of knowledge, though it's a different, it depends on what, what translation you're using, what version you're using. Um, because in the English, there's different words used. Okay? So we just read that prophecies, they will fail. Tongues, they will cease. Knowledge, it will vanish away. It's interesting that those two with prophecy and with knowledge are the same verb. It's the same verb. Um, The ESV, if you're reading in the ESV, they get it right because they say love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So, you know, I, 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 I use the New King James and... It's interesting that, that it's, it's, it's a different use of the word there. So one is vanish away, the other is fail. I don't know why they would have done that in the English. I don't know why they would have picked different words there. It almost creates a little confusion. Um, and I'll explain that in a little bit. But knowledge, is, it, it, knowledge here is not knowledge that we can just acquire. It's not like you just pick up a book and you can acquire this knowledge. So we're talking about this gift of knowledge. It's the special understanding imparted by the Holy Spirit which enables the early Christian to function before the completion of the New Testament. Amen? Today we have the Word of God. Then they didn't have the Word of God. So knowledge was a special gift, a special knowledge that God gave to those who then could convey truth. It could be acquired by apostolic instruction. It was revealed to the apostles and relayed through the prophets. And like prophecies, knowledge would be abolished. That at some point, God would cause them to, as the ESV says, pass away, or to vanish away, or to fail. That what they're going to do, they're going to, they're going to stop functioning, and God's going to bring that to pass. Paul says the situation with tongues, though, it, it's different. It's a different word. Uh, he says, whether there are tongues, they will cease. So, so tongues, of course... Now understand this, and we'll get deeper into this next week. And I know y'all have been anxiously waiting to really talk and dig deep and talk about tongues. You want to understand that? I say it jokingly because we don't have a problem here in our church. We don't have a problem with that. Nobody's pushing for tongues. But I do think it's important. Look, it's in the Word of God. So it's important to understand what, what are we seeing around us? What is going on around us in, in some churches? So what does the Bible really say about that? Then how are we to interpret and to understand what is going on today versus what was going on then and what is right? Look at what goes on here. Tongues, understand this, it's the supernatural ability to speak in foreign languages. Never, never anything different than that. And we'll dig into that next week and help you understand that. Because there's a lot of different things that people say tongues is today. But that's not what it was then. How could it be different now than what it was then and what it was used for then, its purpose, why it was given? And so it was never anything else. Like I said, we'll talk more about that next week. But Paul says this. He says they will cease. And he uses it's a different verb and a different voice than the passing away of prophecies and the passing away of, of knowledge. 
And he does this deliberately under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, okay? Paul's not just writing but to be creative and, you know, he just thinks it's a cool thing to sit down and write this letter and put out his own opinions about things. He's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, one writer said that Paul used different verbs with roughly the same meaning just to mix it up. Just to mix it up. He was just being a good writer. So he said, fail. He said, cease. And he said, vanish away. All because he just, you know, it was, the, it was a way of saying the same thing three times, but saying it differently. You know, I'm going to tell you what. That's a shallow view of the inspiration of Scripture. Amen? Listen, every word that is in this book, it's there for an, it is absolutely there with a purpose. Okay, so there's no accidents. Now we have to go back sometimes to the we have to go back to the original language to understand that because again we see right here, English translators have picked words, same verb, same voice, same everything right here, and they pick two different words in in the King James and the New King James and other versions. They pick two different words for the exact same thing. So you got to go back and study it and look at what the the the, the language actually said. Um. So, but that's a shallow view of Scripture. That's someone who, man, this is a guy writing. This is a theologian who's writing that. And you know what? I just go, uh, X, that's not a guy I'm interested in reading what he has to say because he doesn't have a high view of Scripture and the inspiration of Scripture. Every word is there for a reason. Um, three times, three times, if you go to the ESV, three times uh, that word pass away is used. It's actually used in verse 10. If you go to verse 10, it's in there also, and it means the exact same thing those three times that it's used. The word cease is different. The word Paul uses here for cease is pavo, and it means to stop or to come to an end. Now, it's the same idea, right? That one's going to stop, one's going to end. But it's in the middle voice. So, well, it was an accident that it's in the middle voice. It's not an accident. The Holy Spirit said this. The Holy Spirit wrote this. The Holy Spirit told Paul what to write. Paul recorded under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So why did he say it? And so with it being in that in that uh, middle voice, here's what it, what it means. It means the action is being done upon itself, right? So here's what it literally means. Tongues will make themselves to cease. There's going to come a time where, where tongues will just cease on their own because their function is no longer needed. So they will come to an automatic end. They will cease in and of themselves. And there are folks who will argue that that's not what that says, but that's what the verb and the voice of the verb says. That's the tone of it. Um, if you read MacArthur, MacArthur will take that exact approach right there. MacArthur will say that the tongue ceased. They ceased with the apostles, and in that time, that they ended. They were no more. We'll go into more of that again next week. But that's the word Paul uses, that tongues will cause themselves. They're going to cease. They're going to stop. And, and, if we, and if we really look at this in the way it's laid out, we would understand that tongues will cease. They will cause themselves to stop before the prophecy ceased and before the, the knowledge ceased, before God caused them to stop. And we can get more into that. But then the question comes into this. So if, if these are going to, God is going to bring prophecies to an end, he's going to bring knowledge to an end, and, and he has set it in place, and tongues will, will cause themselves to cease. They'll just stop functioning. They're going to, when the time comes, they will stop. It will, it will cease. God didn't say that they'll linger forever. He said they will cease here. But then the question comes in, when will they cease? That's what we want to know, Right? We want to know when will they cease. The, the scripture was very clear that they will end. Those three will end. There are other sign gifts that would end because their purpose had been served. There was not a, if there's not a need, if something's given for a purpose, look, the word of God and the way God works is not like the federal government. 
Y'all realize federal government will put a program in place 50 years ago for something, and today that program will still be in place? And, and whatever it's in place for isn't even used today? There's no need, but there's still a staff, and people get paid every day to focus on something that's been dead for 30 years? It doesn't, God doesn't work that way. When, it, when he gives something for a purpose, when the purpose is met, it's done. He's, he's, he, that doesn't need to just perpetually go on. So let's look at Paul's explanation in verses 9 through 12. Verse 9 and 10, he says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When, when that which is perfect has come. Now, there's a lot of different views, but that is the answer to when will these things cease? When will, when will, this, when will tongues cease? When will prophecies and knowledge pass away. When will that happen? Well, the scripture says very clearly, when that which is come, uh, which is perfect, has come. When that which is perfect has come, then the, 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 that which is in part will be done away with. Now, there's a lot of scholars that have different opinions about this. Some scholars believe Paul is speaking of the second coming of Christ right here, that he is saying when Christ comes back, then these will end, these will cease. However, Christ had come, and that which is in part was still here. Amen? So the, the part that was in part had been in part. We, had been, we, we, we didn't have a perfect knowledge of, of, of the scriptures, of the biblical truth. And Christ came, and yet the perfect came. Was Christ perfect? Per, Christ was perfect. So Christ came, and what was in part was still here. Christ was perfect when he came. The Holy Spirit has arrived, right? The Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit perfect? Okay, so so obviously we can kind of draw from that that it's not speaking of God in this context, because if that were the case with Christ, that which was in part would have either been fulfilled or with the Holy Spirit coming, that which was in part would have been fulfilled simply with his presence. If, if it is just about the Lord's coming back, it doesn't have to be the second coming. So the Holy Spirit had arrived. He, too, obviously is perfect. And yet that which was in part was still there. So. The second coming is really, if you're going to look at this, it's out of context with this passage. Now, we're going to read some passages, and you go, oh, that could absolutely be speaking of eternity. It could be speaking of us. It could be applicable to that. But when you're, when you're doing biblical interpretation, you have to be careful that you don't just jump way over here when Paul, Paul's over here talking about gifts. He's talking about prophecy and knowledge and the spiritual gifts that are given for the edification of the body of Christ, for the church, for the body of Christ, amen, for the knowledge that's needed. He's giving those things for that purpose. That's what he's discussing. He's not discussing the, the Lord's second coming at all. That's not even in the context of this. But you're going to find as you study this, you're going to find a lot of people who take that approach that this is speaking of when the Lord comes back, then that which is perfect has come, which would be true that, that when the Lord comes back, that which is perfect has come. But that is not what Paul's talking about right here. Um, so let's try to figure this out. The emphasis here is on in part, in part, in part. Okay, so it's represented if you verses nine through twelve. We see that phrase in part four times. When you look, when you Bible study, you should you should look for repeating phrases. Repeating, look for those. Highlight them. Because when you see that, there's a reason that, that, that's being said. There's a reason that's coming again and again and again. There's a focus and emphasis here on the in part, okay? At best, the early church had to get along with a partial 
revelation. You understand that? We're talking about the revelation. We're talking about the word of God. At best, they had partial revelation of the truths of God. They had, they had the Old Testament. Well, we've got an entire New Testament that has to be written. We have, we have the, the entire theology and doctrinal teachings and all that that has to come for the church and how we are, as the church are to live our lives. The, the book of Revelation is yet to be written. There's all these things that have yet to come. There was, a partial, there was a partial revelation at that point. The emphasis here, uh, or, or the expression in part, is a phrase, ek meros. And it means this, it means bit by bit. That's what the phrase means. It means bit by bit. So, for we know bit by bit, and we prophesy bit by bit. When that which is perfect has come, then that which is bit by bit will be done away. See, that's the way they were functioning. They had knowledge here from someone. God spoke to this prophet. He was using this apostle to give truth, and there was truth over here, and they were lacking for that over here, and they had truth here that they didn't have, and there were letters now being written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. These are the things that the gifts were given to accomplish, to edify the body of Christ, to build up the body of Christ, to bring this word of God to us that it would, we would have total revelation. So this bit-by-bit situation would continue until the goal of these three gifts of communication was reached. Knowledge, prophecies, tongues, all, it's all about communicating the Word of God to people who did not have the Word of God. They didn't have a written Bible, so that's what the, the purpose was. So what is that? It's to share the word, the word and the will of God to mature the church and edify the body of Christ. So these gifts were primarily to communicate the word of God. So that which is perfect is the completion of the New Testament canon. Now when you read it that way and you understand that what Paul is saying is when that which is perfect, folks, I got a question for you. Is this perfect? This is perfect. Now, I, I'm not one that's going to argue that my New King James translation is perfect. But the original manuscripts, the original inspired writings that this is translated from is perfect. The word that God gave us under inspiration of the Holy Spirit is perfect. And it is complete. That which is perfect... All of the context of this is about what is needed for the church in that day. They needed the Word of God in its completion. And that's what is being communicated. When they're speaking in tongues at Pentecost, why are they doing that? To convey the gospel, the Word of God, to people who don't understand their language. God used it, gave them that language so they communicate it to them. God gave prophecies. He gave them something to share with others. Knowledge. He gave them something to share with others because they did not have the finished word of God. At that, at that time, nobody had access to the full and final revelation. And, and it would not be completed. It wouldn't end until the end of the first century when John writes the book of Revelation. And when that book is finished, then boom, the canon is sealed. Everything that we need is just a, a point now of, of the Holy Spirit protecting it gathering it together, putting it together in what we have today in our New Testament. Okay, So the word for perfect is teleios, which comes from the, from the word telos, which means to end or the end. And so the Latin equivalent word is finis. Anybody, does that sound, anything, any English words you might configure, think finis, um, finis, 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 finish. Yeah, pretty simple. 
And, and, and what that means is nothing beyond. So hence the word means perfect. And when it means perfect, it's not talking about God and his perfection. It's talking about that which is mature, whole, and complete. It means to reach the goal. The goal was for the Holy Spirit to come and bring, and bring all this together so that we would have the word of God. Now, when we have the word of God, these, these communication gifts that were there for the purpose of communicating what we did not have, they would come to an end. They would cease. So today, the apostles and prophets have gone. The evangelists, pastors, and teachers remain. The Bible stands supreme. The New Testament scriptures were completed and closed. That which is perfect has come. The Word of God, the Bible. The New Testament scriptures inspired and collected by the Holy Spirit into a single volume. They are perfect. The Word of God is perfect. When that which is perfect has come. That which is in part will pass away. So, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, the Greek word for child there is nepios, which suggests a babe, a child not old enough to speak. Okay? Um, it's, it, it's, it, when you find this word in the New Testament, it always is associated with immaturity. So it's not necessarily dealing with being childish. It's just talking about immaturity. It's just that you haven't come to that age. Now, as Paul is using this word, as he's speaking these things right here, the Corinthians were smart enough to see that Paul was telling them they needed to grow up. And what have they got? They got problems in the church because, because of tongues. They, wanna, they all want to speak in tongues because that's the glamour gift. They all want to have this, this thing that they can use. And they were abusing it in church. They were, they were doing the things in church. And we'll, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll talk about that next week. But that's what was going on. And Paul is, is chastising them right here. He's correcting them. And he's telling them, look, when, when I was a child, I acted like a child. I, thought, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought I was a child. But when I became a man, when I grew up, I quit acting like a child. Now, how many, of you've, uh, how many of you have had a conversation with Mr. Levi Duncan? Anybody have a conversation with Levi? I mean, it's, it's great. Levi's fantastic. It's so fun to have a conversation with Levi because he'll just go chatter on. He'll, he'll, go, he'll, he'll get to going and babbling and chattering and carrying on trying to communicate. And he, he's like, you're dumb because you don't know what I'm saying. And come on, don't you understand babble? And, but he's going on. It's really cute, right? That's cute. But it wouldn't be so cute if Patrick <laughs> is babbling and chattering and carrying on and, and acting like a child. That's not cute. So it's cute for a child. It's not cute for, for an adult to act like a child. So Paul is saying, look, childish things are appropriate for children and the gifts are appropriate for our present time. But the gifts of the Holy Spirit will not be appropriate forever. Paul's not trying to say that if, if, if we are spiritually mature that we won't need spiritual gifts. What he's saying is he says that, 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 that if you... Um, he does not say that if we are spiritually mature. What he's saying is if we're spiritually mature... I'll get this out in a minute. I can't read or think. Um, but he does say that if we are spiritually mature, he will not overemphasize spiritual gifts, especially at the expense of, lo the expense of love. Look, when we're mature, we don't focus on those things. We don't get so caught up in... They were so caught up in chasing the gifts that there was division in the church because they were so concerned about having this gift of tongues. Okay? 
So remember that. Make note of that. That's part of the fight that was going on in the church and the problems because they're, they're pursuing this gift. They want tongues. They're pursuing that. They want that. They desire it. And it's all about me. Anybody, you know, listen, I don't, I, I had a guy that was, um, when I was in transportation, and I had a guy that worked for me as a temp. He was a driver. And he came in, and he was, he was from a very, very, very charismatic Pentecostal group, and he, and, he, and he just was almost braggadocious about his faith, about how spiritual he was, just bragging. He'd come in, and I was training him. I'm riding with him and stuff, and he's bragging about he was slain in the Spirit this week. You know, I was slain in the Spirit. I was out for hours. People had left, and I woke up, and, and, and they're, they're gone, and he's just bragging about all that. Well, about two months of working with us, I had to fire him because he was, he was harassing every woman on every dock of every place he delivered. Married man, kids at home, super spiritual because he spoke in tongues and got slain in the spirit at church, and yet he was chasing every skirt that was on every dock everywhere he went and fired him. And we had some spiritual conversations as well. There's an overemphasis on the gifts when we're immature. Verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I see in part... Now I see in part. In Paul's day, uh, mirrors, they weren't made of glass like today. We have awesome mirrors. Incredible. I mean, you can see everything. Y'all have seen those, those mirrors that they, they have, ladies have them on the sink. They'll scare you if you're not sure what it is because it's normal. And then you flip it and it's like, whoa. You see, you know, you see everything. And I'm like, flip that back over. So it's, it's that, that's that intently mirror. And we, I think I preached on that. When we intently look into the Word of God, it's that. It's that very intently. That's in the temple. We have great mirrors. They didn't have those great mirrors in that day. They had, they had pieces of metal that they'd banged out and polished. And so I imagine mirrors in that they were a lot like, you know, they were, they were dimmer and they were distorted in the reflection, probably like kind of going into some of these fun houses where you, you really don't get an honest view of what it, what, am I that tall? Am I, you know, they're looking at trying to, but it, it's in copper or whatever. They don't have a great view. They don't have a, a realistic full view of even themselves as they look at it. Listen, until the New Testament was completed, even the most enlightened believers could only partially grasp the tremendous truths that are now revealed to us. Right? Folks, do y'all understand? I mean, sometimes I don't think we really grasp what we have right here. They didn't have this. And the truths that are in here, the the wealth of, of knowledge that God has revealed to us, Everything we need to know is right there in the Word of God. And we leave it slaying around collecting dust. We throw it in the dash of our truck from week to week. We, we, we don't open it. We don't use it so often. This is the Word of God given to us, the completed Word of God. There's nothing else He needs to share with us. Everything we need is in there. Back then, it was a time of partial vision. Partial vision in part. Much remain difficult to discern and hard to understand. Today we have the complete revelation. God has told us everything that we need to know. Everything we need to know. People start asking questions that are extra biblical. I'm like, why? I mean, if you've got a curious mind, you want to study that and think through things, that's okay. But don't get caught up in that when you've got everything we need is here. And there's more right here than we'll ever completely work through in this lifetime. So everything we need, we need to know we have. We have the completed Bible in our hands. 
It's all the difference between night and day, between seeing one's image in a dull metal mirror and seeing that person face to face. I mean, you can, there's just, it's the total difference. Until the canon of Scripture was completed, a believer could know only in part. But then I shall know just as I am known. And again, this verse is used a lot to speak of when, maybe when we get to heaven. Well, we will. We'll have a knowledge there that we don't have here. But that's not the context of this verse. What, what Paul was revealing to them is when we have the completed word of God that, folks, we have today. We have it. We, we, we can know as we are known. God knows us. God knows our sin. And look, we have access to the whole truth. We can know the Father. We can know the Son. We can know the Holy Spirit. We know ourselves. We know our sin and our need. We understand that. We can know God's plans and purposes. We can know the mind of God concerning Israel and the church and the nations and the end times as we're studying on Wednesday nights. We can know these things because God has revealed it to us. The final completion, assembly, and circulation of the New Testament Scriptures put in our hands the means to know the entirety of revealed truth. We are blessed. We are blessed. This book ought to take the highest priority in our lives. People say, oh, you Baptists, some of you Baptists, y'all worship the Bible. No, we don't worship the Bible. We worship the God that is revealed through this Bible. But this book right here, you're absolutely right. I have a high, high regard for this book because it is this book that tells me I'm a sinner. It's this book that tells me how I can be saved. It tells me of God's love for me and what Jesus did for me. I can read page after page after page of what Christ did as he suffered because of his agape love for me. How he died and he rose again and he offers salvation to us by his grace through faith in what he did for us because of that book. That's, I hold that book in high regard. And it ought to be the absolute foundation of our life. Every decision we make ought to center around this book. Every choice we have to make ought to center around this book. The way we fashion our life day to day should center around this book. And we're all guilty of not doing that. I'm all in with the Lord. I believe the Word of God. And yet the simplest revealed truths we sometimes ignore. Because I don't like that one. And we'll criticize those who don't like something we don't like. And, or they do like something that we don't like. And they, like, they embrace it. or whatever. We go, oh, But we, we have a problem with our own self. Hmm. He's, he's put a lot in there. There's enough to offend every one of us in here. I don't care what your thing is. He's, he's, there's something in here that's going to make you go, oh, I don't like that. Yeah, he said forgive as he forgave you. He said love even when they're unlovable. Even when they talk about you and put you down or backstab you. He said love them. There's a lot in there. But we can... We can know the Lord. We can know ourselves. We can understand it now because, because of what's been revealed to us. So Paul, he's, he's written this, and, he, and he's told them, he shared with them that which is passing away, these gifts that are passing away, and that which is coming, the, what is the perfect that is coming, the Word of God. And then he speaks of, and it comes back here in verse 13, to that which is here to stay. 
And so verse 13, And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The three great pursuits of the Christian life are not miracles, power, and gifts. They are faith, hope, and love. Though the gifts are precious and given by the Holy Spirit today, they were never meant to be the focus or goal of our Christian life. Well, I have the gift of mercy. And if you don't have the gift of mercy, then you're just not doing it right. No, your gift isn't better than anybody else's gift. Whatever your gift is, it's a gift given by God. He chose to give it to you. And then you should, you should be thankful for it. And you should surrender it to his leadership. And you should use it how he tells you to use it. And not how he doesn't tell you to use it. You should use it how he tells you to use it. We should pursue, pursue faith, hope, and love. So what is, what is your life focused on? What do you really want more of in your Christian walk? It should all come back to faith, hope, and love. And if it doesn't, then we need to receive God's sense of priorities and put our focus where it belongs. Faith, hope, and love. Because faith, hope, and love are important, and they are important. We should expect to see them emphasized throughout the New Testament, right? If, if that's a big deal, Paul said here, we ought to see that through Scripture. Actually, there's probably six or eight passages that, that I, I've got them here, so let me read just a couple. 1 Thessalonians 1, 3 says, Remember without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, Galatians 5, 5, and 6. 1 Peter 1, 21 and 22, Colossians 1, 4 and 5, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, all of those speak of faith, hope, and love. But Paul says the greatest of these is love. And Pastor Aaron, you and the team, y'all can begin to make your way forward. Just about done here. The greatest of these is love. Love is the greatest because, folks, it will continue and it will even grow in eternity. When we're in heaven, faith and hope will have fulfilled their purpose. We won't need faith when we see God face to face. Amen? There won't be faith in heaven. We don't have any faith in heaven because we see God. We're with him. We don't need hope. because uh, We don't need hope in the second coming of Jesus because we'll be with him already. It will already be fulfilled. But we will always love the Lord and each other and grow in that love throughout eternity. Love is also the greatest because it is an attribute of God. First uh, John 4, 8 says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. We talked last week about agape love, how important that is. If we don't love like God loves, then the love of God's not in us. If, if we don't love, then the love of God's not in us, and we don't know Him, and He doesn't know us. Folks that have no love, you need to question, am I in God? Am I in a relationship truly with Him? Because if He's in me and He is love, there's going to be love in my life. For he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Faith and hope are not part of God's character and personality. God does not have faith in the way that we have faith because he has never had to trust outside of himself. Faith won't go eternally. Hope, God doesn't have hope in the way we have hope because he knows all things and is in complete control. But God is love and he will always be love. Fortunately, we don't have to choose between faith, hope, and love. 
Paul isn't trying to make us choose, but he wants to emphasize the point of the, to this point to the Corinthian Christians. He says, without love as the motive and goal, the gifts are meaningless distractions. And that's where they'd gotten to, folks. They didn't have love. They were more concerned with their, their gift. You know, we have the same problems today. We're more concerned with our spiritual gift. We're more concerned about our own ministry. We're more concerned about the manifestation of what God's doing in my life. We're more concerned about my ability. We're more concerned about my personality. We're more concerned about my experiences. And we're not concerned about love. Whatever it is, love, the greatest of these, is love. And you know what? If we lose love, we lose everything. Everything's worthless if we're not doing it in love. For serving in the church out of, man, I just have to. So I'm checking a box. It's not the heart. It's not. It's not the, that shouldn't be the driving force. Our love for Him ought to be the driving force. Our love for each other ought to be the driving force. Our love for those whom He loves, that yet don't even know that yet, ought to be the driving force. Love. Our faith is important. We have to have faith. Our hope is important as we, as we look forward to the Lord's return and we hope that, that blessed hope of His coming back. But love is the ultimate. Love is the ultimate. And love is the one that's here to stay. It's here today. It's here tomorrow. It's here for all of eternity. Everything else will be gone. Love will be here. Do you love today? Do you love God? Do you love others? Is there somebody in your life that, man, you've, you've, you've exempted yourself from loving them because of something they did or something they said or you just don't understand how they treated me. It doesn't matter. God says forgive and to love. We're to love one another. We're to love in this church. We're to love outside this church. God's in us. He's come in us. God is love. He's in us. That love is going to come out. How are we loving today? How are we loving? Something for us to think about as we go in this time of reflection. I'll have you stand in a moment and sing, but we're just 